I think it's really fun that uh, my last name is Newcomer because that joke only works once and I can use it now. <laughs> that was really loud. Okay. Um, so tonight um, we are going to be going through the line um, talking about Jesus and conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so I think a lot of us maybe are like, uh, okay, but how? Like, no one else in history um, has that story, and you would be right in saying that. But instead of talking about how, uh, we're going to go through why. Why is this so important for the Christian faith? I would claim it's actually essential to our Christian faith that Jesus is both human and fully man. A lot of what Brianna was saying was actually really fun that she kind of like tied us into what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, so, um, like Elena said, we are in a series on the Apostles' Creed, and creeds are um, helping inform us of the core truths of Christianity. And so, if this is new for you, if you're new to Christianity, I actually think this is an awesome series for you to be a part of, to get to figure out, like, okay, what are what is Christianity all about? Because I think culturally we have a view of, like, Christianity looks like that, but the Apostles' Creed really breaks down line by line, like what actually matters to the heart of a Christian. And for those of you who are a Christian, I think this is so encouraging. Um, over the last few weeks, just thinking about the beauty of what we're talking about, like I was even like close to tears thinking tonight about like what we get to talk about and the beauty of what this means for you and me. So bear with me if I do cry on stage, it could happen. Um, so would all of you please stand, and for those who believe, please read this alongside me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Isn't it powerful to get to read all together? I just think there's something so unifying about saying those truths together. So we are going to look at, I'm going to read another creed that also kind of like breaks apart some of this, conceived by the Holy Spirit, um, born of the Virgin Mary. So this is a really important doctrine in the Christian faith. And for, um, in the 400s, it was a really big deal that there was this kind of tension between people are like, oh no, but he's like a mixture of both, or he has to be like half God one day, half human one day. And so this actually is like a really important doctrine in our, in our faith, in the Christian faith. So I'm going to read from another creed that kind of just like breaks it down even more, like what the distinctions are between, or what this means. So talking about Jesus, he's born of the Virgin Mary the mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, unconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, 
The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one substance, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, the only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and to the Lord Jesus Christ as he taught us himself. So maybe some of that you're like, I have no idea what you just said. But that's literally a whole paragraph talking about this is such an important part of our faith. Um, and though I wonder the same things about how is this even possible, what feels the most essential is talking about why. And so we'll be looking at a few passages tonight and why this is absolutely essential. So we're going to look at, first, some bad news about the state of our hearts. Two, why it's absolutely necessary for Jesus to be God and man. And three, why that good news is good news for us on this really normal Thursday night here in Colorado Springs. So here's the bad news. We look for safety and security in places that cannot offer what they claim to offer. What I mean by security is the sense of everything is going to be okay if fill in the blank. So I have a few stories to share, but a few months ago I was listening to a podcast all about self-esteem. So it was a non-Christian podcast and they were just talking about like, how do you feel good about yourself? So this interviewer asks a professor and researcher, he says, okay, like how do you, when you're feeling low, how do you feel better about yourself? And he said, okay, what I do, this is what the professor said, he said, I go to my office and I close the door and I look at my wall of PhDs and master's degrees. And that's what reminds me that I've done something in my life. And that made me immediately think, okay, but what about all the bad things? Like the bad things you've done, you put them on the wall, maybe it's supposed to be like equal out, half and half, like more good than bad. But that feels literally paper thin in a security, um, literally, because it's paper on the wall. Here's another story. Um, I was listening to Trevor Noah, a comedian, and he was interviewing Kevin Hart. And um, Trevor asked him, okay, following a successful career in comedy and making lots and lots of money, achieving fame, what's next for you? And Kevin Hart said, I just want to build an empire that my kids can look back on and say, my dad did something. And I remember thinking, too, this is a man in so many respects, we would say he's achieved it all. He's got fame, he's got more money than probably most of us could even imagine, like more zeros than we could probably even write. And yet he still feels so insecure that he says the thing that he wants to leave behind is this kingdom that his kids can look at and say like, well, I think my dad did something with his life. But in 50 years, nobody's gonna remember the name Kevin Hart and the way that it landed on us today. Or here's another. There was a woman named Hedy Lamarr in the 1930s and 40s. She was known as the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, she was also super smart. She was in about every movie on every screen across the whole world, and this is crazy, but even Hitler and Mussolini had private copies of her films because they thought she was the most beautiful woman. A little scary, I would not want to be her. <laughs> um, she even helped create the beginnings of Wi-Fi, or so I'm told by the internet. I don't know enough about all that to know, to verify that. But um, she also helped design some torpedoes um, for World War II. But she went through six divorces and actually ended up living a bit of a recluse life after plastic surgery gone wrong. So much of her identity had been secured in how beautiful she was, and the men in her life really wanted her for her beauty. 
The allure of being the most beautiful in every room fell short of what she envisioned, and instead of offering the security she hoped it would, actually left her really empty and sad. For the last 35 years of her life, she just stayed inside. For us, I think this looks like either complete pride or complete, de complete defeat in many different areas. That could be like the money we have in our bank accounts and feeling really good about ourselves, like, oh, I actually have $10 in my bank account. Or on the other end, feeling like I have no money and I'm just, I'm destroyed. Like I feel like I should, I should be doing more with my life. Or this could also look like being really proud of the grades that you have, being like, oh yeah, I have all A's and I'm super proud of that. Or being like, I got a B and I'm devastated. This can also look like being so proud of our appearance because of the circles it gets, it gets us into or it impresses the people that we want it to impress. Or feeling great when your family, friends, and teachers think the best of you and feeling really destroyed when everybody else is kind of like, eh, they're fine. They're a cool person, I guess. Our security is often in the things we think we can control, and those things end up controlling us. I would even argue these things enslave us. Looking to things to save or secure us other than God is what the Bible would call sin. So why is Jesus as God and man the solution? We were created for complete security in our relationship with God, and what broke that was our ambition to cling to something other than God as our security. Adam brought death, and Jesus brings life. We'll look through a few verses talking about that. So we are all responsible for the sin around us and the sin within us. Um, so we're going to have a few verses on the screen. Um, Romans 5.12. So this is talking about um, Adam being the first one who sinned, and we, by nature, just kind of inherit what he's given us. So it says, therefore, oh yeah, um, if you have a Bible, um, the Blue Bibles, if you turn to page um, 549, this is where we'll be. Or you're welcome to just follow along on the screen, too. Yeah, Romans 5.12. It says, I'll wait a little bit. <laughs> yeah, 549 will be the page. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In Romans 6.23, which I think Brianna even quoted in her story, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we see here is this idea that Adam, the first man, brought sin. And... Um, because he thought he would be better off without God, and so death entered our world, and it came to all people. That's all of us. We've inherited that. Thanks, Adam. The bad news is that this is in our DNA, and it's also in the decisions we make. Um, but what we also see is that someone has to die for our sin, so it's either us or someone else. And so what we see is this beauty of Jesus dying for us, being the perfect man that nobody else could be. So we'll continue reading in Romans 5. So we'll be in verses 15, 15 through 19. It'll also be on the screen, but you're welcome to turn there. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, 
but the free gift following many trespasses following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Um, This is incredible news. Um, Death brought to us through Adam means that it it must take another man to set us free, and that man is Jesus. If we keep reading, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. If you imagine the most perfect human, uh, what comes to mind? probably someone full of joy and love and life, someone who all kinds of people just want to hang out with, would love to have meals with, someone with conviction but also compassion, or is it someone who stares at a wall wall of his own accomplishments and says, this is how I know I'm enough? I think we'd probably say it's the first one, the one full of life and love. And here in this passage, we see that Adam's sin brought death to humanity And Jesus lived the life we could not, and the gift is that he offers that to us. What Jesus offers us is freedom from sin because he lived a perfect and beautiful life. And as humans, he lived the life we were meant to live. He did this in order that we would be the undeserving recipients of that life and be united with the God who made us. Okay, we're going to look at another place, and this is the part that I get really excited about because... This is just so moving to my heart. So we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. So if you uh, go a few chapters back, we'll be on page 581. I think that's right. Um, So Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. And I'll read this for us. Sweet. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, the children meaning us, He himself likewise partook of the same things, and through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear and death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So here is what the author is saying. Um, In order to die for us and became a merciful high priest, Christ had to become like us in every way. So I've heard people say what Jesus assumes, he redeems. So the things that he becomes is what he redeems. So as a baby, um, he redeems infancy all the way to the deathbed because he has walked that life before us. And the Son of God has eternally existed within the Trinity, but he chose to put on humanity and die for us because of his love for us. I want to look at another passage. It's Hebrews 7, 23 through 28. And it reads... The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. 
but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the utmost, uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, and like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this as once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So we get this language of priest, and maybe if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you think like, okay, like a Catholic priest, or what are we talking about? The priest here is talking about the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, we had a priest who would be the intercessor, so he would be talking to God and making um, like kind of this in-between between God and man. And so we would have priests, because they're sinful, and we see here in this passage, they would have to like sacrifice a goat for themselves, and then they'd have to sacrifice for the people, and they would have to do that over and over again because they were sinful people. They were sinful priests. Um, and what this is saying is Jesus is sinless. Therefore, he doesn't have to first offer a sacrifice for himself and then offer a sacrifice for us. What he does is he offers this boundless sacrifice because of who he is and his eternal nature. Jesus is the far greater priest because he has never sinned, so he doesn't need to offer sacrifice for himself. So death came through Adam, but life came through Jesus. The verse says here that we were just in in uh, Hebrews 7, that he saves us to the uttermost. And I was like, okay, that's kind of a fun word. But when we think about the Old Testament, God put in place a sacrificial system to restore relationship, but it could never make us perfect. And so what Jesus does is he save us, saves us to the uttermost, meaning he saves us to perfection simply because of who Jesus is as perfect. So when God looks at us, and if we are in Christ, then he looks at Jesus, the perfect man. So recap, what we just talked about, um, we're so quick to run to other things than God to secure some sort of place in this world. I think we all know that. Like we shared some stories about um, Trevor Noah talking about Kevin Hart and um, even that professor who looks at his wall of accomplishments or even a really the most beautiful woman in the world in the 30s and 40s. But none of those are secure. Those are all fleeting. Those are like the trap door at the bottom of like a, a stage where you can stand on it firmly as long as you like stand there, but there's, it'll, it'll just let loose. Um, and we talked also, we went through Romans, just looking at the wages of sin is death and we deserve death, but someone graciously paid that for us, which is stunning. And then we looked at... Um, Hebrews, looking at Christ interceding. What's crazy is this like idea of Christ lives to eternally intercede for you and for me if your faith is in Jesus. Just crazy. He literally, he is sitting on the throne and says, I live to intercede for you because I love you and I want to be the high priest because I know what it's like to be human, but I know what it's like not to sin and I've lived the life that you could not live. 
So how is this good news for us right now? We're sitting in our seats, we're like, okay, that's cool, that feels like fun uh, to think about, but how is this good for us right now? And I would say the gospel is the greatest security. Um, When we think about all those other things that seem to offer some sense of security, they don't. They won't offer security. Nothing else can offer this kind of security like Jesus offers. For the professor who looks at his own efforts as a means to feel better about himself, the joy of what Jesus offers is that we simply look at him because of his grace and his mercy, because he's accomplished way more than we ever could. For Kevin Hart, who is craving an empire of authority and renown, this is actually what Christ offers, but it's so much more than the kingdom of Kevin Hart. (laughs) It's a kingdom of beauty, and not just a kingdom of legacy of one man, but the kingdom for everyone. All nations, tribes, and tongues. That's a kingdom that will last forever. And for those who crave to be adored simply because you're beautiful, what Christ offers is his adoring love on you simply because he created you and thinks you're beautiful. And I think if the creator knows what he's doing when he's creating you, he's made you beautiful and he says, like, this is mine. I love her. I love him. So there's a few pastors um, that I think just have really awesome quotes that as I was reading, I was like, these need to be shared. So... Um, One pastor in the 1500s, his name's John Calvin, he wrote this. He called this the wondrous wondrous exchange, and he wrote it in Latin, so the mirifica communicatio. I don't know. So this is the wondrous exchange made by his boundless goodness. Having become with us the Son of Man, he has made us with himself sons of God. By his own descent to the earth, he has prepared our ascent to the heaven. Having received our mortality, he has bestowed on us his immortality. Having undertaken our weakness, he has made us strong in his strength. Having submitted to our poverty, he has transferred to us his riches. Having taken upon himself the burden of unrighteousness with which we are oppressed, he has clothed us with righteousness. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that beautiful? That is truly a wondrous exchange. Martin Luther, um, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther in the 1500s, um, he also was writing about this, just trying to make sense of this exchange between what happens when Christ dies for us and we accept what he's done for us. And so this is uh, a quote um, summarizing some of his, um, his work. And so he's also writing in the 1500s, so bear with the language if it feels a little antiquated. <laughs> At the heart of the freedom of a Christian is a story of a king who marries a prostitute, Luther's allegory for the marriage of King Jesus and the wicked sinner. When they marry, the prostitute becomes, by status, a queen. It is not that she made her behavior queenly, and that's what won the right to the king's hand. She was and is wicked through and through. However, When the king made his marriage vow, her status changed. What has happened is this joyful exchange in which all that she has, meaning her sin, she gives to him. And all that he has, his righteousness, his blessedness, the life and glory he gives to her. Thus, she can confidently display her sins in the face of death and hell and say, 
If I have sinned, yet my Christ in whom I believe has not sinned. And all that is his is mine, and all that is mine is his. This was Luther's understanding of justification by faith alone. And it is in that security, he argued, that the prostitute actually then starts to become more queen-like at heart. This ultimate security comes only by an irrevocable and free gift to you. I think this should both unsettle us because we're so quick to look at other things to fuel our security and also comfort us at the same time because it's nothing we do or bring to the table but everything he's done and brought to the table. If our security is in anything other than what Jesus has done for us, that thing, whatever it is, is going to crush us. But if our security is in what Jesus, as fully God and fully man, has done for us, we are free. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for uh, just the, the mystery of what this means, that you are both God and man, and what a gift that is to us. Um, it feels so high and lofty and... Um, we cannot grasp the how, but Lord, we are so thankful for the why. Um, Lord, would you help us just fall more in love with the beauty of who you are? Um, and God, we ask for um, those of us in the room or that don't know you, um, Lord, that you would um, just make yourself more known in more sweet and tender ways. Um, Lord, we thank you for who you are and what that means to us. Um, amen.